Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's the Autosport Podcast. We preview the return of motor racing to Switzerland and ask if Jean-Eric Verne will clinch the Formula E crown. John eric Verne could clinch his first Formula E title in the next race in Zurich on June the 10th. Of course, that marks the return of motor racing to Switzerland after the long-standing ban following the Le Mans 24 Hours disaster in 1955. I'm your host, Ed Stewart, and joining me to have a look at all things Formula E first is Alex Kalinorkas. Now, you're going to have a bit of reacclimatizing to do, aren't you? Because unusually for a Formula E race, and I think uniquely for a single header, this race is on a Sunday, not a Saturday. It's very unusual for a Formula E race. And uh, the reason why is because uh, the city of Zurich asked Formula E to move it back from its traditional Saturday slot just to minimise disruption going on in the city. Because, of course, normally it Formula E says, of course, oh, we're just here for the one-day event. But actually, there is the day before where it's all set up and they have a shakedown. Normally takes place on the Friday afternoon. Zurich said, no, please, can we have that on the Saturday to minimise the disruption? So it's going ahead on a Sunday. Also, for the second race in a row, we've got a later start time. So the last race in Berlin uh, took place at 6pm local time. It was basically to help 
the broadcasting between the the men's and uh, the women's, although it was the other way around, uh, the national football finals. So they sort of delayed it there and then. And it's the same thing happening this time in Zurich. It's a 6pm start to coincide with after the French Open tennis finals. Well, that's a very comprehensive answer, isn't it? I try occasionally. Oh, amazing. I was just going to glibly throw in, if you've been to that part of the world, it's almost like a ghost town on a Sunday. So, you know, it's like going into the city of London on a Sunday. There's no one there. So the disruption will be minimal. And for those wondering who's responsible for that breach of etiquette of talking before he's invited to, that's Andrew Vanderberg, formerly of Formula E. Yes, once of that parish. Presumably due to go back to Formula E in a few years down the line as you yo-yo between oh, the two. Yeah, I, I, I imagine that a bit like West Bromwich Albion, I'll be uh, yo-yoing between the two until finally I just get relegated beyond any recognition. Just sit in the lower leagues, reflected on fading glory. So... Let's get back to the, the point. Formula E, John-Eric Verne, Alex, what's the championship situation? It's it's almost a foregone conclusion he'll win the title, but what does he have to do to win it in Zurich? So yeah, he's currently 40 points ahead of Sam Bird, and he just needs to make sure, if he, want, if he wants to win the title, which presumably he does, nice and early. You'd assume, uh, you'd assume yeah, he it would, probably would be nice. does. Yeah. He can have a nice relaxing weekend in New York after that. Um, but he'd need to be 58 points clear. So obviously we know Formula E, if you get pole position in the fastest lap, the maximum number of points you can get along with the race win is 29. So he needs to make with a double header coming up in New York to end the season. He'd have to be 58 points ahead. So to get 18, it's not it's not insurmountable. If he scores 18 and his closest title rivals don't score at all, championships uh, won. He will definitely want as much of a cushion in the bank as possible going into New York. Uh, Bird was untouchable there last year. Um, was absolutely in a, in a class of his own as he won both races. And as we saw... Basically, in every Formula E season, the ability for things to turn around uh, quickly is uh, almost unprecedented. You wouldn't have imagined that Sebastian Boemi wouldn't have won last season's championship, uh, given the the points advantage he had. But especially on those double-header races, you get on the back foot and you have one, uh, even just one minor incident in practice, as Boemi had in Montreal, and that ruined the entire weekend. Um, so I don't think Vern would take anything for granted uh, in New York. So I think it'd be all out to ideally, if not completely put it to bed, to put it almost beyond the, the reach of Bird. And the really impressive thing with Vern this year is just how consistent he's been. We're used to him back when he's in Formula One being a bit erratic. He'd have some mega weekends and then somewhere things didn't quite come together. But I think his worst finish this year has been fifth, hasn't it? He's been in the top five every single race. Uh, yeah, fifth twice in uh, Mexico and then in Rome. I did feel he slightly lucked into that fifth place finish in Rome because of Felix Rosenquist and, uh, and other people. Uh, Felix Rosenquist retiring and other people having problems with their energy later on. But other than that, he has been utterly up there at every, at every single round. The last time out in Berlin, Audi was, for once, simply untouchable. We always say they're going to be untouchable and then something goes wrong. But this time, they were just out of sight. Um, and Vern maximised what he could. He knew he, he could only finish third and he, and he made sure he did. Um, but he's been on the most amazing streak in motorsports uh, uh, recently. Obviously, he won the FE race on home soil in Paris. Then he took LMP2 class honours at the wet ground uh, at Spa the next weekend. Then won the ELMS race outright the following week in Monza and then was on the podium again in Berlin and he actually jokes after the race that had Ferrari called him and said do you mind just uh, nipping down to Monaco and doing the race for us that he could have been on the podium there as well yeah he's uh, he had a strong run at the Monaco Grand Prix one year I think he was uh, eighth there for Toro Rosso in 2013 that was a, that was a good drive as well one of his one of his higher points in uh, in Formula One but it is interesting in the case of Jeff Andrew you'd have been around when he first dropped in to Formula E pole on debut wasn't he and then he seemed to go through this period where there was underlying pace but he wasn't really able to string it together and it looked a little bit similar to the whole Formula One experience where 
you could tell there was a very, very good driver there, but he couldn't quite deliver it consistently. But now he just seems to be this rounded, finished article. I don't think it'd be uh, unfair to say that when he arrived in Formula E, his attitude sucked. Um, he'd been kicked out in what he felt was unceremoniously and unfair circumstances by Toro Rosso, having fared pretty well against um, Ricardo uh, when they were teammates at Toro Rosso. Um, and he drove, he's a clearly a fast driver, and he drove that Andretti car quickly, but he was a nightmare to deal with. Um, he was difficult to get to do anything. Uh, he was sullen and uh, genuinely non-communicative and, quite frankly, just a bit of a pain in the ass. Um, and he's done an enormous amount of growing up. I think he's had a time for a bit of introspection uh, and to work out that all the things that have gone wrong in his career might not just be down to other people and that maybe he's been responsible for some of the things that, uh, you know, that have happened to him. And uh, he's come out of it a much more engaging, well-rounded, better individual as a result of it. And I think that's reflected in the way he is to deal with at the track, which is much, much better now. Uh, you know, he's a, he's a fun guy who uh, you can genuinely have a good interview with if you can engage him. I mean, if you ask him some tired, boring questions, he'll give you a tired, boring answer. But I think that's the interviewer's fault, not his. And he's really led that team, I think, more remarkable than the consistency that Jeff's had is the consistency that Tachita's had. Because that's a team in whatever guise it's been in before that has been peaky to be generous uh, and occasionally bewilderingly awful. And he, together with Lotterer, I think you can't underestimate what he's brought to the party with his professionalism, have uh, kind of turned them into a championship winning team. And uh, unfortunately, there's not a great deal of odds um, set against Formula E, but that would have been an amazing long shot at the start of the season. And Vern's very well embedded in that team, isn't he? Isn't he a shareholder? Yeah, he's a minority shareholder and, and he's clearly a, a, has a, a very strong influence in uh, the technical direction and just the sort of work ethic and professionalism that they've been demonstrating. Uh, and I and I think he, this will be a sensational triumph for him and I hope he, he does deliver the title as much as I'd like to see Sam win it. Um, uh, and it would be real testimony to the sort of in in the common sort of reality show parlance, the journey that he's undergone uh, in the time that he's uh, that he's been in Formula E to the point now, where I think you know he would probably call himself a Formula E driver first and foremost, which is you know he, at first he was a sort of F one refugee, and you can you can see that change of attitude in the way he talks about how he how he has dealt with the team. He said, you know, I've had to have these forceful meetings where. You know, we we knuckle down and we work out what's going on. And he's obviously he's feeling that he's got to take the situation by the scruff of the neck, and it's it's delivering results. Can't deny that at the moment. Alex, is is it just Sam Bird he has to be worried about, or there there's a few others still in mathematical range? Obviously, it would require something disastrous to happen and and some pretty big results. But there's still that, that's the thing about trying to sew up championships, isn't it? You want to do it early just to remove the possibility of something disastrous happening. Completely. And as Andrew alluded to, Bird was untouchable in New York last year. He is Jeb's closest rival, like I said, only 40 points behind. Um, but that, you know, that's a pretty long way. Um, unfortunately, Felix Rosenquist, who had been in a sort of three-way title fight just just a few races ago, after his uh, unfortunate mechanical problems in um, Mexico and Rome, 
at the start of the race in Berlin, he said afterwards, he explained he had, he had only qualified six, so he had to do something. And he went around the outside in a almost a do or die move and it just didn't pay off. He, he only narrowly avoided spinning off into the barriers and didn't score any points on his charge back through the pack there. So it does look like Berb would be the only person capable of stopping Jeb at the moment just because of the points gap. He's the nearest one. And I think the, the positive thing with Jeb is with his mindset, you'll think he'll want to win it, but he's not going to be over the top if he can finish fourth and that's where he deserves to finish he will finish fourth won't he He won't try something like that and, and overreach himself i think oh, well also play enormously to his advantage as alex mentioned earlier on was the uh, steamroller in pace that uh audi had in uh in berlin which fine there's a parallel universe somewhere where that's happened in almost every race and that they're like 300 points ahead in the championship i think that was the way we feared it would have been right from the get-go there's absolutely no reason why they shouldn't produce that form in all of the remaining races now. And all that does, of course, is just massively shift the odds into Jeff's favour. But what Jeff has said, and he was very clear on this after Berlin, he mentioned it in the press conference, then he said it again when I spoke to him in the paddock afterwards. Uh, he'd been involved in a in a clash on track during the race with Sebastian Buemi as, uh, as they were fighting over third place. And he wanted to get this message out of, I'm not dropping my guard, I'm not changing my approach. If I'm attacked, I will defend hard and I will be aggressive you know he says i never crash or blah 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 but his point is i'm not going to be a pushover just because i've got the title on the line um but it's an interesting point you make there about audi because of course they can still overhaul to cheetah at the top of the team's championship and that's a big goal for them and it'd be a big uh it'd be a big win for audi in its first year as a as a works formula e team and certainly that'll salvage at least something from the season for for audi which has just got the two wins for uh daniel Atz. So and no it. win for Lucas degrassi unbelievable well, the fact that him and Boemi haven't won a race this season it's almost like something changed in the championship if if Boemi was to win on home soil in zurich it would be an entire calendar year like 365 days to the day of his last formula e win which is in berlin last there we go for the driver who Sort of felt like he was winning every race at one stage, even though he was never quite that good. That, that's uh, remarkable. It tells you how much things are changing in Formula E as the technology changes quite quite rapidly. Well, you mentioned it's home soil. Switzerland, we very briefly mentioned. This is a big deal, isn't it? Having a, an actual motor race in, in Switzerland, given the, the long-standing ban and the objections that have been there to bringing motor racing of this sort back, which have not just been about safety. They've also been about the strong environmental lobby that very justifiably exists in, in Switzerland. It's... it's I know we keep sort of saying this about Formula E, but this wouldn't have happened if it wasn't an electric series. So this is another thing that Formula E has facilitated happening that that seemed unforeseeable. Yeah, absolutely. This this is um, something that they've been working on for a while, uh, and is, as you say, it's, it's a real totemic uh, race for them. Um, in for for a multitude of reasons, not least because there's a significant amount of backing uh, informally from Switzerland with uh, Julius Baer, ABB, Tag. Um, so there's always been that element. Uh, there was a race, the final race of uh, season one. I think there were five Swiss drivers on the grid. Um, although, big quiz, quiz question for anyone who can name them all. And like you say, to take motorsport back into a country, the only place where I think, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think it's that been outlawed anywhere else. So there's probably some weird law in Tajikistan or somewhere like that that permits anyone other than the, the, the emperor or pr- premier or whatever from driving. Um, but I, I digress. So for that, for them to actually be able to, to take motorsport back into there and to go to a city like Zurich, you know, like one of the uh, international banking capitals of the world, somewhere that's got uh, international and global recognition and to and, you know, give the Swiss most sport fans, of which uh, I'm sure there are quite a lot, uh, the opportunity to actually see 
racing as opposed to hill climbing, which of course has uh, persisted throughout that period, uh, is is a is a real um, you know great reward for all the effort that Formula E's been putting in, and uh, the tickets sold out in next to no time. And I'm sure it's going to be a great event. It's interesting to think about the whole Swiss motor racing band because people do tend to forget. Everyone reflects on the Le Mans disaster of '55 uh, when it was eighty something was the official uh, the official death toll, but. That ban could have happened in multiple countries. It was being discussed. You know, there's a point where, you know, motor racing in Europe could have been uh, almost white. Well, car racing of, of that sort could have, could have been eliminated. It was that serious. Well, you imagine if something like that happened now, that probably would be the the net result of it. Yeah, but you can't just write off an accident of, of that size. Um, Alex, what do you know about? the track uh this is where I do, I do the thing where i can't pronounce uh names in uh, uh, you know that i haven't come across before so it's the eng or eng district of the city anyway it's, it's right me well there we go it's right on uh the harbour side of lake zurich so nice picturesque location i know yeah, that's very important to you ed that it's uh, in these in these sorts of places um but the, the actual track itself doesn't look wildly interesting. And obviously being uh, waterside, there's no going to be no nice elevation changes like we saw in Rome. Uh, but there is one very, very long straight that heads down towards turn 10. So I think we're going to see quite a bit of overtaking into that corner. Do we have any feel for how it's being welcomed by the people of Zurich? Is it is this a huge deal there? Is there going to be some some protest? Because cause I can remember this, this lifting of this ban... There were votes on this 10, 12 years ago, weren't there? They got overturned. It was a it was a huge political hot potato, wasn't it? So are we going to see some Battersea-style objections? Well, I spoke to the uh, the promoter of the race, and uh, he very understandably, when I asked him, you know, how is it being received, he said, very well. Everyone's looking forward to it. Um but what I do know is that the city have given them, I think it's a I think at the, I think it's a two year contract, but with a review after the first race to see how it goes because they've got a nine year six year and then it was upgraded to nine year license from formula e but the city itself is backing it heavily because they've got they've got the permission of the politicians to race there what does a what does a license for a race mean in formula e terms andrew vanderberg you must be the expert well it will mean firstly that no one else is able to operate a race in that district so somebody couldn't say oh i've got a a Geneva race idea that I'm going to I'm going to run that, or I'm going to go to Baal or Basel or whatever it's being pronounced today, uh, and do that. So we'll give them um, their sole right to to do that, and then as a result, they, they will get the associated marketing and all of those uh, abilities that go along with it, and hopefully the ability to monetize it. Excellent. Well, I see in the, the notes Alex prepared that's the 19th host city for Formula E. How, how many ho- possible host cities do you reckon have been spoken to? Well, there was there was some crazy um, stat that Alejandro came out with once about 180 or something like that. But I remember um, sitting down in a pub and trying to name 180 you know, cities, and uh, it's quite a push. You know, if you set the bar at say five million inhabitants of five million and up, uh, I'm not even sure there are that many. Yeah, you'd be, you'd be hard pushed there, but it's I can imagine it's the kind of thing. There are plenty of inquiries. Plenty oh, of lo- I'm fielding lots of inquiries all the time, and from some incredibly random places. And during the time I was there, um, there were all these citizen group. There was a group from Vancouver that significantly got enough um, signatures together to be able to petition the government to push for a race. Um, there was, a, and we know how powerful petitions are. Oh, absolutely. Um, there was a, a, a relatively credible pitch from some uh, an organisation, Aberdeen, for. A race there if they want a wet race that's probably a good place to start um yeah there's been some some really left field uh suggestions that have come in um and 
obviously over the time some of them have been explored some of them have uh been completely ruled out uh, because you know the the uh the credibility maybe of the people that were pushing them forward weren't so great but um i don't think it's a it's a problem for formerly to have a slightly um fluctuating calendar by the nature of street races you know if you if you're there for more than sort of five or six years it's a law of diminishing returns the new people you can get in through the gate unless it's a real destination race like monaco or or um singapore or something like that so you know as long as they don't burn um, too many bridges or annoy too many of the locals. I think it's quite good for them to uh, to move around a bit. And of course, in that sort of time scale, you often get change of governments and local governments. That's the tends to be the big uh, the big dividing line, doesn't it? When uh, it's a very easy thing to to chuck out. While we're on the topic of possible new Formula E races, there was the new story a few weeks ago about uh, Andy Street, the mayor of the, of the West Midlands, came out saying that he's in advanced negotiations with Formula E over possibly reviving the Birmingham Super Prix from the late 80s early 90s um it's not entirely clear how far these negotiations have gone but we do know that the fia world motorsport council is happening next week because uh, street said it's very possible we could have a race as early as the next formula e season in 2018-2019 um so we won't have long to wait to find out what the actual calendar is going to be and if birmingham is on there it's interesting to see this general trend that for example miami and formula one you know these these city center or urban races perhaps is a better way of putting it that really are much easier to sell than races on permanent venues out in the middle of uh, in the middle of nowhere now on a recent formula e podcast we talked about the whole the whole mario kart concepts we weren't very sure of the details at the point but now alex i think we have got some details of this uh what's uh currently being known as hyperboost that uh, will be introduced for next year when we have the the Gen Two car, which will have enough enough battery uh, energy to complete a full race without a car change. So they want to try and spice up the racing. So what what do we now know? So did a little bit of digging, found out a bit more about this system, and as you say, Ed, it is at the moment known as Hyperboost, but we understand that that is just a working title and it's not going to be called that when the final, because at this stage everything is very provisional, no one's really, in terms of from Formula E and the FIA's perspective, they're not even discussing it, there's no comment on any of that sort of thing. Um, But yeah, Hyperboost, the early proposals um, tell us that at each Formula E race, on two occasions, and that will be mandatory, well, it will be after the first two laps have been completed and it won't be active in the final two laps. The drivers will have the option, they'll have to arm this system, literally flick a switch in the... Sorry, I, I, I now object to using the word literally when I don't need to, but anyway. Uh, we'll flick a switch in the cars. It's a bit difficult if they have to metaphorically flick a switch. Yeah, Find the be. metaphorical switch. That's tricky, tricky stuff. But what they would have to do is uh, arm the system and then they would run over a dedicated zone that would be clearly marked and offline because, of course, it's designed to slow them down. I hope it'll be a yellow, a yellow square with a question mark like in two Mario Kart tradition. Well, I told you, I, as we discussed before, I've not played Mario Kart. So I, that gets straight out of my head. Honestly, if I, things they haven't done. If I had a green <laughs> shell, it would be winging its way right in your direction now. Um, but these sections would be about 10 metres in length at sort of a different style of corner at every circuit. And uh, alongside uh, the, each section, there'll be possible trackside digital screens so that the fans there know what's going on and, uh, and where these things are taking place. Once the drivers have gone over it, it would activate a four-minute boost of increased power from the normal mode of 200 kilowatts to 225 kilowatts. And that would translate to an approximate increase in lap time of one second per lap during the activation period. While it's going on, while that, that system is activated, the halo that will be on the new Formula E Gen 2 cars will flash green using the LED lights that have been fitted to it. And uh, that would flash, uh, uh, incidentally, that would flash red if uh, fan boost 
had been activated. Now, if a driver was to use the fan boost system while they were using the hyperboost system, not to be called hyperboost, but at the moment, that would add an extra 100 kilojoules on top of the hyperboost power increase, which would take the power up from 225 kilowatts up to 250 kilowatts. And uh, just as another aside, if there was a full course yellow or a safety car, safety car period, the halo would flash yellow, like the flags. Well, there we go. Now, Andrew, I can hear from afar all of the purists seething and being furious all the ones who say they refuse ever to watch Formula E will also be furious about this gimmickiness so what what do you make of it ah the righteous fury of the uh, hardcore fan um as Alejandro said right from the get-go if you want um traditional motorsport that will still exist and anything Formula E does won't impact upon that but this is a, a sport designed to bring in a new generation of fan and I think timing of us discussing this following a Monaco Grand Prix that has drawn as many detractors as I can remember, although quite what, the, what they were expecting is beyond me, um, is is in, is interesting um, and shows why Formula E feels it has to do something like this. There is a worry that once the strategic element of the car change is removed, uh, that the races have a danger of becoming processional and uh, if you speak to some of the drivers who've tested the new car and about the quality of the battery and the, the lack of thermal degradation that it, uh, that it doesn't suffer from, um, they're worried that that might be the case too. So I think it, it's good for them to be on the front foot about this rather than trying to react to it after one or two processional races. I'm not sure that this is exactly the right way of doing it. And actually, I'm pretty sure maybe Alex can shed some light on it when this goes through the full refining system of, of, of the checks and balances of the FIA will probably end up being a bit different now. But I think it's absolutely the right thing for them to be trying to find new and interesting ways to make the races more interesting and engaging. You know, you really have to be a special kind of fan to want to sit through two hours of cars circulating in exactly the same order. Yeah, it's, there's definitely going to be some changes to what has been put presented to the teams. It's understood that based on some of the simulations that they've run, naturally being motor racing teams and especially with the manufacturers they've 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 worked out what the best and fastest way to use this system is and they'd all do it at the same time so you would remove the sort of random and chaotic element that that's what they want so we could and this is of course up to the FIA and getting the race formats right you could have a sort of you know maybe it won't be four minutes maybe it would be another time time period something that they would only announce at very short notice and perhaps that's how they could keep the randomness element. Um, but yeah, definitely it's all it's all very much up in the air at this stage and there'll be more tweaks and more more to come on Hyperboost. Perhaps Not Hyperboost. Perhaps it should be random. Just your number comes up and you have to do it at that point. That would be interesting, wouldn't it? I, I think that's quite a good idea. Genuinely, you know, that it suddenly comes on, on your dash, Hyperboost, for want of a better name, is activated. You're like, right, right, better use it then. Off you go. And that could be like in a... <laughs> for a metaphorical idea that's sort of a tombola thing it comes out lap three. Oh, yep jeff you off you go make the best of it you can make a show of that have a have your metaphorical tombola in the paddock and have some uh some celebrity nobody's ever heard of uh to uh to draw it that could make life interesting yeah and and that would like you say you, you can't simulate that you wouldn't you wouldn't be able to you just, you just sometimes it'd be great because you were right up to the back of someone sometimes it'd be great because you're in the lead to pull away other times you might get it three laps from the end and you've got no one behind you or in front of you i guess it's not clear from that whether you would still be entitled to the fastest lap point if you were using hyperboost at a time i mean these are the things that would need to be worked out but i think if you were if you're able to set fastest lap with that then it would be relevant whatever time you got it I guess there's enough space for a little bit of strategic variation because you could use it to try and make a pass. 
you could also want to use it when you've got clear air to make up some time and if you've been held up behind something. There, there's a little bit of a difference, but I think perhaps some random facts. Or maybe if you have one, you can deploy when you want one that comes up at, at random. That, that could be an interesting an interesting way of doing it. And it it does open up some interesting opportunities because when you've got this kind of powertrain and you can quite easily alter the power modes and that kind of thing that there are there are some areas of interest i've got no real problem with it as long as these things are fair and equitable so as long as john eric verne gets it twice and sebastian bromi gets it twice that's fine it's it's just if one gets it once and the other gets it twice obviously that's not not particularly fair i'm much happier with this than the notion of people at home pressing a button on their telly and people getting a power boost as a result of that much as that might be an interactive god i don't want to say it again millennial thing to do um but like you say at least it would be fair if everyone gets the same opportunities brilliant it's not really unsporting then is it no exactly it's, it's, it's got to be fair isn't it? and it's a creative and interesting sort of tech from a technological point of view way of spicing up the racing because as i've said before what would be a disaster for formula for formula e is if they just have processional street racing as we saw in monaco it's not very popular and that that and that is what they haven't had because of the car swaps and the sort of style of racing that we've been used to in formula e so, yeah, I have no problems with it. I'm impressed. Also, Formula E have always said, and Alejandro is quoted as saying this quite a lot, it, they want to be, the racing to be like a video game. That's That's been a desire of the championship, and now they've got this in what looks like a very attractive and interesting proposal. What they should do, then, is just have one driver in the race whose job's just to take the first corner flat to wipe people out. That's what normally happens if you're a, if you're racing online. Is that, are you alluding to what's your normal tactic when you're racing in racing No, I, I, actually, I actually looked at Andrew while that happened. There have been a few incidents. I think it'd be great if cars started glitching across the, the track as well, you know, and there's a bit of latency, all of a sudden just move three feet to the right. What? <laughs> that, could, that could make some interesting uh, responses to things. But yeah. It's it's all about being uh, a bit being fair and equal, and the best drivers and teams will still do the winning. Exactly, that's what matters. It's not it's not random. Just one other topic we should briefly talk about because we haven't uh, addressed this since it was announced is that Felipe Massa is coming in full time. Now, we've talked a little bit in the past about whether Formula E needs, should we say, these these ready made stars from the world of Formula One coming in i mean he's a big name he's a guy who almost won the world championship so he's not a, a kind of bit part player he's a driver with star quality in in brazil so you can you know you can make arguments either way of him do you think that's a, a, a positive for formula e to have someone like massa it's not just in brazil he's uh, massive in italy as well as we saw when he Ferrari, was in the, in, the, in the rome race so it'd be a good crossover for them into the more mainstream media in some of these places where you have a name like that uh, i think you'll find it exceptionally hard exceptionally hard uh, and i'm not expecting him to be pulling up any trunks as, uh, in terms of the results. Um, I think it's good that he's shown the desire to try his hand at something new and wants to carry on racing. Uh, it's interesting that he's gone with Venturi uh, and, not, and not one of the more established teams. And I think it's interesting that they've taken a punt on him. Um, but let's not forget they also took a punt on Jacques Villeneuve and that didn't last very long. He's going to do better than Jacques Villeneuve. The bar has been set very low. Indeed. And you know there is a school of thought and i know um scott mitchell our former formula e correspondent put this put this idea forward that now formula e has established itself it doesn't need to be going and getting and signing xf1 drivers and it should be promoting itself and its up-and-coming stars like the felix rosenquist and mitch evans etc i totally understand that but what i very much enjoyed was uh seeing felipe massa on i think it was sky sports f1 being asked about venturi in formula e and and you would never get that normally so that's a great thing for Formula E. And that's exactly the point. 
for all the success that the championship's having, uh, fantastic manufacturer involvement uh, and an uh, enviable re- portfolio of sponsors, is still struggling to get any mainstream appeal. If you didn't read Autosport, and you're obviously listening to this podcast, so of course uh, the, our, our listeners are well elevated above that, but if you were just a, um, a casual motorsport fan, you would struggle to know that it existed if, say, your only source of uh, information was the BBC motorsport page or something like that. So in terms of uh, broadening the awareness uh, of the series to, to that type of fan, uh, it, you can't really knock it. It will be interesting to see how he gets on, because on the one hand... I've covered Felipe Massa in Formula One for many years. You know, he's a, he's a great guy and capable of capable of great things in a racing car when th- when things are right. On the one hand, I look at him and think, well, there were times when he wasn't always the most strategic driver in the way he was using tyres, etc. Particularly in the Pirelli era. But on the other hand, he was very very good at his best, keeping the uh, this minimum speed up in corners. He always had that ability to get lap times despite missing apexes, etc. etc. So. He's a driver that's got that. There's in the right circumstances. There's a touch of there's a touch of magic in there, and you never know. He might actually gel very well with Formula E, or he might not gel with it at all, and he just might not be able to get his head around the whole uh, the the whole managing the the energy demands of the whole thing. Well, the thing is, at the moment, we genuinely don't know about the the next generation car and, and the sort of race that it's going to create. I think certainly the the style of driving that's required for the current car might not necessarily have been the one you would traditionally have associated with him. Um, and it's interesting how guys, say someone like Oliver Turvey, has really uh, shown himself to be a, a, a top-line um, Formula E driver when his junior single-seater career might not have pointed in that, in that direction. So there's something about the, the demands of the cars that doesn't necessarily reward the traditional um, fast way of, of doing it. It is going to be fascinating. The fact that we've talked about him for five, ten minutes or whatever it is goes to show that this is the right thing for the championship. Well, the good thing is he's not just another Formula One driver. You know, He's a guy who has got that many seasons with Ferrari, the near-miss in the World Championship, 11 Grand Prix wins. So you know, he's a, he's a serious operator. It would be a slightly bit different situation if they'd gone all out to get Daniel Kvyat in or something, not to pick on him, but just thinking a Formula One driver without a seat who's not um, who's not perhaps had the had the same heights uh, achieved in his career. So with that, we're going to leave uh, leave Alex to get on with uh, making his way to to Zurich to see what's going on there and uh, check out the lake. And hopefully, I want you to come back with lots of reports about the geography and the location. Not chocolate, sure. not chocolate. Bring me a Toblerone, a normal Toblerone, not a. Oh, it's off to Dundee in his socks again. Exactly, yeah. (laughs) Driving to Dundee on my bare feet, eating Toblerone. But not one of those ridiculous oversized ones they sell in airports, which... A medium-sized one. We were having a discussion the other day. A a white or a black one or just a traditional milk chocolate one? I think the normal one. But there there was a discussion going on while we were travelling to or from an F1 race about who buys the massive, massive Toblerones. And uh, I think it was Stuart Codling who saw someone buying five giant Toblerones. Who who has the hand-baggage space for that? Is that why they sell luggage when you get past airport security? Is it for those people? That's a good point, isn't it? But that, that's probably what's taking up all the space in the overhead lockers when you get on EasyJet flights. It's people with too many Toblerones. Too many Toblerones. Exactly. Mind you, I look like someone who's eaten too many Toblerones. So I'm not a massive ready. fan, I've got to be honest. I got, I, I, I'm quite partial to the old Toblerone. I couldn't I've, tell you the last time I had one. Christmas, probably. Yeah, you, well, you have to eat Switzerland. It's, it's Toblerone's wall-to-wall, isn't it? So you'll, you'll, you'll have to have some. Well, you can expect more high-quality Formula E Toblerone-related chat when, uh, when Alex is back. I'm sure we'll uh, reflect on what may or may not be 
John Eric Verne's coronation in Zurich, but if it isn't, I'm sure it'll just be delaying the inevitable. And of course, we've got plenty to look forward to with motor racing going back to Switzerland. So check out autosport.com for all Alex's news on goings on from the uh, from the race weekend. And also the rest of the world of motorsport, Formula One, rallying, the whole lot. And also our Autosport Plus subscriber area, all sorts of in-depth articles from the world's leading motorsport writers. Also check out sister titles, F1 Racing and motorsport.com. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back soon with another Autosport podcast. Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com forward slash Trilo Music. redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Social Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.